This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says this. A man can do nothing better. This is Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? I want to pray today that God would show each and every one of you that he has a plan for your job. He has a plan for your employment. God wants to work through your occupation. And it's a great thing that happens when you allow God to work through your employment and through your occupation. Let's pray together. God, uh, as we've been speaking to men these last couple of weeks, I know you're speaking to all of us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us change our perspective on uh, what it means to work and how you are working through our employment situation. You're working through our job. You want to do something great within us and for us. So help us, Lord. We submit to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, in, whenever you start preaching about uh, jobs or working, those who are in waste management really get picked on. In fact, you know, you'll hear something like this in a sermon. Even if you're a trash man, God can use you. As if to say the last possible job on earth would be in waste management or a trash man. And I just think that can be insulting. That's a very, uh, very helpful job, very important job. Now, in my neighborhood, the trash comes very early. It comes around 6 in the morning. And it just so happens it comes on Mondays and Thursdays, uh, the mornings where I'm the most tired because I preach typically on Sundays and on Wednesdays. Uh, So most of the time I put the trash out the night before, but there's some mornings I forget and I have to get it out at the last minute. And just recently, just about two weeks ago, uh, on a Thursday morning, I was very tired. I woke up. And uh, the trash wasn't out, so I threw on my flip-flops. And I just, I know a lot of you actually live in my neighborhood, so I prayed to God that none of you were out yet. And with my bedhead, flip-flops, and pajamas, I took the trash out. Uh, Now, this is going to be a little hard to explain, I think, but hopefully you'll understand. We live on the corner, and so it so happens that the, the trash stops at our house, and then it loops around the neighborhood, and it takes about 20 minutes, and it comes right by our house again. This is also how the bus stop works, and that has just been um, the favor of God in our household, you know, because if you miss the first stop, you get the second stop. Uh, So I put the trash out thinking I was on time. I go get ready for the day, come back about 20 minutes later. I come back down, and I realize that I had missed the first run of trash. And I'm watching as the trash men are starting to pull away. One of the men on the back, he signals and says something. I'm watching all this out my window. And the dump truck or trash truck backed up to our house and picked up the trash anyway. Now, if that would have been me, I probably would have thought something like this. Those people need to get with the program. We come by at 6, let's teach them a lesson. I'm all about order and punctuality and schedule and rhythm and all that kind of stuff. But this man, I don't know his name yet, but he decided to serve us and to stop his route and to back up and pick up the trash anyway. And here's the truth. I don't know this man's name yet, 
Don't know much about him. But what he did revealed to me much about who he is. And on your bulletin, there's a statement there. It's not a blank. It's just a statement. And it says this, work reveals the heart of a man. Work reveals the heart of the man. The way you conduct yourself, the way you handle yourself, the way you are in your commerce, your place of commerce, your place of business, shows who you are and what you do. Now, from the beginning, God had a plan for work. A lot of times we have the wrong attitude about work because we see work as a curse. And the truth is this, when sin entered the word, the world, we were under a curse. And the, the Lord said, by the sweat of your brow, you will cultivate the land. In other words, work's going to be very, very difficult. That's part of the curse. But remember this, before sin entered the world, when the Garden of Eden existed, God worked through work. God had a great design for work. And people, when they were in God's prototype of perfection on this planet, people had jobs. One of the things I tell the young men that I work with, that I remind them that Adam, that God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. That's his order of things. And so it is that God, in His perfect plan for us, has a plan for work and has a design for work and wants to redeem work. And part of being under the blessing of the Lord and, and being redeemed from the curse, being bought back from the curse, is realizing that God is moving within our employment situation. He has a plan for our jobs, and He wants to work through our jobs. Now, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 18. Because in 2 Samuel 18... We are going to see the tale of two counts. David participated in two activities that were the same thing. He counted his troops. But they had completely different motivations. And I believe the Lord wants to show us and he wants to get down to the heart of the matter. Because part of us being in his will when it comes to our employment as working men is to understand what motivation we are working under. What motivates us to work? What is it that drives us? And we're going to see two completely separate motivations here in the Scripture. The first one is in 2 Samuel chapter 18, starting with verse 1. 2 Samuel 18, verse 1. It says, Then David numbered the people who were with him, and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And the army marched into the field to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. And there the army of Israel was defeated by David's men, and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. And that was a good thing if you're on David's side. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. The purpose of count number one was this, responsibility. That was the purpose of count one. David took this count, and he used it to organize his men. He used it to make him more efficient. He used it to benefit those who were under him. By counting, he was able to better organize, and he was able to assert his leadership. But that is the first count. But the second count was much different. Because even though it was the same activity, there was a completely different motivation. Because God had told David not to take a census and not to count. And here it is in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Turn with me to chapter 24. In chapter 24, looking at verse 2. 
So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribe of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, which basically means from Seattle to Miami, just the whole land, and then roll the fighting men. And here's the key line that lets us know David's motivation. So that I may know how many there are. David there, let me comment on this, wanted to put trust in his strength, wanted to put trust in his army, he wanted to put trust in himself. Going on, in, in, further on in verse 10, David, we find out the results of this. David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Here is number two, the purpose of count number two. Write this word down, vanity. Vanity. So it is as men. As men, sometimes we are very vain about what we do. And we have subtle ways to let people know how important our job is. We have subtle ways of letting people know how many are underneath us. We have subtle ways of letting people know that this is our identity. And some of that's not bad in the sense that, you know, in conversation... Uh, Our work does give people an idea of who we are and where we've been and all that. But I'm talking about when the motivation is to make yourself look more important to others. That's one of the reasons why I never, uh, never am called Reverend Allison. First of all, there's nothing reverent about me. God's the only one we revere, right? There's nothing holy about me. I'm just as, you're just as holy as me. I'm holy as you, all that type of stuff. Uh, I use the Pastor Aaron line because it's helpful for the kids and all that kind of stuff. But I, I try real hard in social settings, you know, to, uh, to not use my position or job to just make myself look better or, or to be vain about that. Uh, because with that, there's a pride. There's a certain type of pride that's not good from the Lord. And here we see that David was clearly about that he was clearly had misstepped in this situation when he had counted his men so looking at your bulletin we're going to do something a little bit different i want you to rate yourself on some comments i'm going to make today i want to make some comments and i want you to simply put a one or a two down on your paper one if you agree this is true about yourself or two if you disagree now the purpose of this test is not for not for you to get the right answer. No one's going to have you turn in the test. No one's going to ask you to grade. I'm not going to have a category of if you're one here and if you're two here or three, anything like that. It is a self-evaluation tool. It's a little different. It can be fun. And for those of you who are here with a spouse, this could be very interesting to see if you're one or two, if you all agree with that. We're going to use this as a tool. Before I talk about the first statement, I want to tell you about somebody. There's a man who became known as Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s in France. We don't know a whole lot about his life, but we do know this. At age 50, Brother Lawrence decided he wanted to be closer to God, and he wanted to be more committed to the work of the church. And so he gave his life and entered a monastery. And there wanting to be more disciplined and wanting to have more prayer, wanting to live this more holy life. Brother Lawrence was assigned a very unexpected cause here. 
he was put in the kitchen to cook for everybody else who was praying. Now, for some of you, that might be a great, you know, a great assignment because there's a few of you out there I'll meet and I'll find out about you and you'll say, I just would love to own a restaurant. I would love to, you know, manage something like that. Well, you are a rare person because most of us, we just cook just to eat. Uh, and it's just something we do. Well, Brother Lawrence did not have this bend towards cooking. So, in fact, at first, he began to see this as penance God wanted him to pay because he had not solely given his life to God earlier. But in that kitchen, he discovered something. He discovered that if you choose to glorify God through a simple task and give God your best, that his presence will be with you. And he would begin to write people. And today we have a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. It's a legendary book that we can understand much about serving God through simple, menial tasks. And that brings us to the first comment. I want you to rate yourself this. One or two, agree or disagree. I work to honor God. I work to honor God. Think about that for a second. Let me ask you this question. Are you passionate about what you do? Are you passionate about the job? When you come and you have an assignment, do you give it your all? Whether it's meeting with a client, whether it's uh, coming up with a sales proposal, whether it's answering your emails, maybe it's cleaning the break room that the other people have made a mess or mopping the floor. Are you passionate about what you do? Because when you begin to glorify God with your job, you realize there's no job too small for you. And when you begin to glorify God with with your job, you realize that that assignment which you've been given, the ones you enjoy, the ones you don't prefer, that assignment is a gift from God, and you can use it to glorify Him. Second question, do you celebrate what you do? Do you have an attitude of... Of gratitude. I didn't mean to say that as a slogan. It just kind of came out that way. But yeah, we'll go with it. Are, are you uh, grateful? Grateful for the opportunity you have at your job. And, and saying, God, I'm going to come and I'm going to celebrate the fact that you've given me this job and you've given me this opportunity. Here's a very pointed question that I want you to reflect on. Does your work feed your family or cheat your family? Which one? Is it the fact that, yeah, you're working and you're doing that and it's providing for your family and you work your best and you're passionate about your job and then you go home and you become a, a, a dad, you become a husband, you, you become a friend, whatever the case is? Or are you using your job just as an excuse to avoid your family? Just as an excuse to get out of the house? Because that doesn't glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it this way, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Boy, that's a great question that has application, excuse me, a great statement that has application for all of us. Brother Lawrence there in the kitchen, he would just had a simple exercise, and it became this. He said, remember God as you work through the day. As he cooked and cleaned the pots and pans and prepared the food, he would just remember God. And the awareness of his presence caused him to dwell in his presence. He made this statement. I want you to read it with me. He said, we ought not 
We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God. Watch this line. Who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Let that sink in for a second. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. So many of us, we have already classified our jobs as unimportant. We've classified our employment as meaningless. Maybe we said, this job's beneath me. This isn't good enough for me. And we have not seen that this can be an avenue that we can glorify God through our assignment. We can glorify God through our job. It's not the importance of what we do. It's how much love we put into it. And if God's giving you an assignment, if you give all your heart to it and all your passion and you love the Lord through your activity, He'll do great things. Here's a second statement. Write down if you agree or disagree with your life. I use work as a platform for God. I use work as a platform for God. Agree or disagree while you're thinking about that. I want to remind you of Matthew 5, 13 and 14. It says it this way. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, I used to hear that phrase a lot about being the salt of the earth. And I kind of understood it and I kind of did not. And then I read it in the Message Bible, and it says this, You bring out the God flavors. You bring out God's flavor in people. You know how salt does that. It makes the food more tasteful. So it is that our life brings out God's flavor in others. Going on in verse 14, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light. To everyone in the house, there's a light in you. The glory of God within you is meant to be seen. And God has given you a platform. And your job, your employment, wherever you are, you're going to encounter people no one else will encounter. And it's the way you speak. It's the character you have. It's your work ethic. It's your punctuality. It's your passion for your job. That makes a difference whether you're being a light or not. It's your kindness. It's your consideration. It's an encouraging spirit that you are being a light and you have no idea what kind of impact you can make on someone by simply letting your light shine. Some of you might work in isolation. Some of you might work alone. You think, well, how can I be a light? Can I tell you, you have a great opportunity when you work alone to create an atmosphere where you're in the presence of God doesn't mean that you cheat. You don't cheat your company at all. You do everything you assign, but you can, you can be in a spiritual environment. You can create that environment. If you're mowing the lawn, you can have praise and worship music all day long. If you're at your home office, you can pray as you answer your emails and do your assignments. You, if you're taking care of children, you can pray over them. You can be in the presence of God if you're simply aware of Him. So, agree or disagree, are you using your platform uh, platform to glorify God. Let me ask you a couple more questions that you're thinking about that. Do you try to improve? I mean, are you going to try to be a better employee this week than you were last week? Are you, are you developing your professional skills? Because all of those glorify God. If you continue to improve and ask God to make you better at what you do, that is a way that you glorify Him. Are you building relationships at work, believing those are kingdom assignments? Now, here's a great question, and just think about this, because we're going to ask this again. 
Do you believe God is at work at your work? Is God at work at your work? Because He is. And even though I know that it can be frustrating, and I don't know the specific issues you're dealing with, but I do know this, that if you allow God and give Him a window to work, He will work in your employment situation. He will do something great. Here's the third thing that I want you to evaluate. My calendar reflects my priorities. Agree or disagree. My calendar reflects my priorities. Does your calendar reveal your heart? Or does it conceal who you really want to be? The truth is this, is that we all encounter segments of time where we don't have a whole lot of control of our schedule. It might be finals week when you're in college. It might be, I know a friend of mine who has had to put hours and hours uh, because of the flood as he's working with a very crucial part of our city uh, and our, our infrastructure, and he's had to just put an unreasonable amount of hours in. doesn't have a whole lot of control over his schedule. But by and large, if you look at a year-long pattern, a two-year pattern, you have a lot of determination over your schedule. And your schedule and your calendar reflect what your priorities are. And I say, go to work, be there, get focused, get the job done, then go home and be a husband, be a friend, be a father, be a church leader. And can I just say that we need more men to be church leaders? I need more of you guys to step it up. And part of the way you can step it up, it's just by showing up. And I understand a lot of you uh, don't, you know, maybe your schedule doesn't allow you to, to come on Wednesday night church or doesn't allow you to go, go to a 242 group. But if it does, you need to be here because your calendar reflects your priorities. And I need you and we need you to be leaders. You're not leaders by a position. You're leaders by example. You're leaders by showing up and we need men to lead. I love Jesus' attitude. I mean, Jesus had the ultimate schedule. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is somewhat hidden in the fact that you don't hear this passage read a lot. But Luke chapter 13, verse 31 and 32 says this. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now look at Jesus' response in verse 32. He replied, Go tell that fox... I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Jesus just called Herod out. Go tell that fox. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to drive out demons today, tomorrow, and then I'll reach my goal. It's like the ultimate daytimer there, the, the holy daytimer. Jesus says, I'm going to heal. I'm going to release people. I'm going to reach my goal because I'm in charge. Think about this. Does your calendar reflect your priorities? Do you leave it all on the field or leave it all at the office or leave it all with that client or leave it all with that appointment? It's hard to do that sometimes. It's hard to do that as a minister, but God's been showing me how to do that more and more. You know, if I walk out that door and I leave the sanctuary and go into the lobby, I go from one room to the other and I just change environments. What I try to do when I come home from work is I try, when I walk in the door to my home, uh, I try to change environments all of a sudden, okay? All of a sudden, all the stress, all the challenges, all the problems, with God's help, I'm going to come in, I'm going to be a husband, I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to do the things around the house I need to do, I'm going to do all the assignments because that's where my focus is today. That, that's where I'm going to be. And God's going to help me 
get things done and the other times. And that is understanding that your calendar has to reflect who you are. In fact, if you start getting your calendar and schedule right, you'll start getting, it'll, it'll go a long ways towards putting your heart in the right position. Okay, so take a second real quick and add up, add up your score. And we're going to just talk about this for a second. And I'm just going to say this, if, if your score is a three, you're doing really, really good. In fact, if your score is a three, your life is defining your work. I mean, you're taking your life with Christ and as a follower of Christ and then as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a community leader, as a church leader, you're defining the work in your life and that's a good place to be. If your score is a four, maybe you can make some changes. Maybe you need to make just a change in one or two areas of your life to really be where God wants you to be. If your score is a five or six, then your work is defining your life. And you don't have any room to be anything else. And I just want to challenge you to do what the Word of God says. To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. You seek first the good things. You go for the things that God wants you to have. You go for what God's best for your life is. And I promise you, you're going to succeed. You're going to be a better employer. You're going to be a better employee. You are going to be prosperous in every way because it's just the nature of God. You put God first and good things are going to come to your life. One of my closest friends, he, he's going through a tough employment situation right now. And uh, he has a job that he doesn't like and a job he doesn't prefer. One day we were talking about this and I asked him, I asked him, what's your plan for your job? What are you going to do? In fact, just to give you a little more history, he actually took a demotion and went to a job that was less prestigious in order to put his family first. So I said, what's your plan? And he just made an amazing statement. He said this. He said, Aaron, I want to see what God can do with this job if I give it my best. Is that not an amazing statement? I want you to think about that. I'm not saying that you can't look for a new job. I'm not saying that you cannot do things to advance yourself. But I'm saying with what you have in your hands right now, what if you just said, God, I want to see what you can do if I give my best. It's not... It's your best attitude. It's your best effort. Giving your best. What could God do? Well, Brother Lawrence, he entered that monastery at age 50. They put him in the kitchen. And he stayed in the kitchen until he died sometime when he was in his 80s. But in that kitchen, when he gave God his best, and he glorified God, and he practiced the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the presence, his life made a huge impact. In fact, all the religious leaders of the world came to him. And they wanted to study how he stayed in the presence of the Lord. And he corresponded with some of the most influential people of that day. And his writings were passed down to where, in 1995, I read them. And it changed my life. And now I'm giving them to you today. Why do I say that? Not to glorify Brother Lawrence, but to let you know that you never know what God's going to do through your job. You never know what God's going to do through your assignment. He's at work. He's doing something significant. You have to trust Him. You have to trust that God is at work. God is doing a great and mighty work through your job. You are a working man, and God is at work.
This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 